Hello, and thank you for listening to Episco Auburn. My name is Gail Goldsmith. I'm a priest, and I serve with Holy Trinity Episcopal Church and Episcopal Student Ministries here in Auburn, Alabama. This podcast was originally a pandemic adaptation for our uh, college Bible study, but now uh, this is this is just one of the things we do in one of the ways that we stay in touch with you. So if you are um, if you're an Auburn student, or if you're just interested in how we gather for Bible study, this is for you. You can, uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about the college ministry on Instagram at, at Episcopal Student Ministries. Uh, you can message me there or uh, email me at gail at holytrinitychurch.info. If you are a college student, so I can add you to our group me. And here's the bit where I really sound like an influencer. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube at Holy Trinity Auburn uh, for services, Sunday school, and updates. All right, let's look at Exodus. Here's a little bit about Exodus generally. Exodus is a book in two genres, narrative, and everyone's favorite, law. So the arc of the book is God revealing glory, purpose, presence to people who then come to know, embrace, and recognize God and respond by shaping their lives to live in God's reality. This was written during the Babylonian exile when God's people really needed to hear this divine promise and divine presence. Follow the story of Joseph in the later chapters of Genesis to hear how the Hebrew people ended up in Egypt and how Joseph's leadership and attention to signs from God saved Egypt from a famine. All of that takes a turn in Exodus 1.8. There arose a king in the land who did not know Joseph. Let's take a second to recap what knowing Joseph and not knowing Joseph would be. Joseph heard God through signs and dreams. So what I think this tells us is that when we are far from home, far from what is familiar, God is with us and coming to us always in prayers, dreams, and signs, and the supernatural and unexpected. Also, Joseph knew God's heart and the traditions of God's people so he could interpret dreams and see the ways God moved. We see this in the Babylonian exile too. The people do not have physical access to the temple, so God is always near in dreams, visions, and prayers. And then in a macro sense, there arose a king in the land who did not know Joseph is chilling. It begins the enslavement of the Hebrew people out of a fear of being outnumbered, a willingness to subjugate humanity to a cruel economy. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt, but slavery and dehumanization don't stop there. The story of Exodus continues in genocide practices and freedom schemes. Pharaoh orders that all the boys born to the Hebrew people will be killed. Hebrew midwives Shipra and Pua work every angle to keep their people alive. Presiding Bishop Michael Curry preaches on this as the beginning of God's freedom movement. For Moses to do his ministry, Shipra and Pua had to do theirs, and it begins in the fear of God. Freedom from worldly powers begins in the fear of God. I also think Moses follows in their tradition in later conversations with Pharaoh. 
their, um, their manner of talking, and this creativity. Moses' sister, also running a next-level scheme, Baby Moses floats down the river in a basket, is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' sister is like, hey, I'll find you a nursemaid, brings their mother. Enslavement and persecution continue. The Lord hears their cry of grief. and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, Moses. Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court. One day he sees an Egyptian beat a Hebrew and he intervenes kills the Egyptian, hides his body in the sand. The next day, he sees two Hebrew men fighting and tries to intervene. And one says to him, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? It's not great foreshadowing for what's to follow. So the, the dead body comes to light. Moses skips town. Pharaoh's trying to kill him. All right, so let's get into Moses' call story. But before we do... Here's a little bit about uh, the dwelling in the word method of Bible study that we're going to use. I think the dwelling in the word method, um, it scales really easily. You can do it alone. You can do it with a small group. You can do it with a larger group like we do on Mondays. I think it teaches, teaches a Christian how to listen for how God has moved in the past and is moving now. It teaches a devotional reading of scripture and sort of um, trains your spiritual imagination along the way. So here are three questions to guide us. What captured your attention or imagination? Question two, what questions might you wanna ask a biblical scholar? What's intriguing? What would be useful to know for comprehension? And three, what might God be up to in this passage for us today? All right, call stories. They're just good to read when you're down and directionless. And if you feel like a dirtbag, know that God loves to call a dirtbag into God's higher purpose. So watch out, you could be next. Let's look at Exodus 3 and 4. You can pause this, do the dwelling in the word thing, or let this be a jumping off point. Some notes. Verse 6. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is God speaking out of the burning bush. And uh, he's saying to Moses, who probably did not know he was uh, was one of the Hebrew people. Um, And Moses is learning, is being confronted with his identity and God's vision for him. Uh, you know, the text is a little unclear as to how much he knew. Uh, his mother was part of his early childhood. I, I kind of feel like he would have had to know something. But he's raised in Pharaoh's court, and we get a very um, third-person, um, past-perfect tense look at young Moses. So he is finding out all of this. And uh, this is God saying, here's who I am. Here's who you are. You are never alone. There's tradition, history, and power behind you. And also, listen to this roll call. None of these clowns were likely perfect or well-behaved. But we got things done anyway. All right. uh, Go down to verse 8. 
land of milk and honey. One of our Monday night Bible scholars pointed out something really cool. It blew my mind. Milk and honey. Uh, this brings a really maternal element to God. Uh, milk, breastfeeding, mother's milk, uh, honey. There's a queen bee there. Just this image of the land nurturing God's people is a really striking one. So in verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is who am I based on what I've done. Uh, you know, Moses is uh, hes having a pretty good time in Midian. Uh, things are going well with Zipporah, great with Jethro, but he's a fugitive on the run. Um, and he must have been at a low point. Uh, and this is how God finds him. This is when God calls him. Not fresh off of a triumph, but in a survival pattern, climbing back up. Uh, this is also a broad identity question. Who am I? I'm in a wilderness of nature and nurture between Egyptian and Israelite. Verse 11. I think it's really encouraging that God tells Moses, go to the elders. Because this means um, he doesn't have to convince everyone to trust Moses the man. Because I imagine that would feel really daunting. They just have to trust that Moses the man saw their familiar God the Father. Jumping all the way down to verse 22, each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and gold, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. When you hear the word plunder, hear ancient war practice. I think I also kind of have a, a question like, is this, is this a precursor to reparations? Unfortunately, this is also where they get the gold for the golden calf. So Moses is still in that who am I question at the beginning of chapter four. He says, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. So the Lord, uh, the Lord shows Moses some signs that he'll use to communicate about God's power. Um, the staff. Here, um, here that the staff would be a sign of uh, royal power and authority, but right now it's also a shepherd's staff. And uh, what can we say? God is really consistent about the shepherd metaphor. Uh, the staff turning into the snake. The snake would have been an Egyptian symbol of protection for Pharaoh. So it's taunting... Um, taunting the mythology around Pharaoh, who the Egyptians would have thought was a god on earth. And third, the hand, uh, the leprosy. So this would have been a sign of God's power over death, resurrection, and regeneration. Continuing in chapter 4, uh, verse 10, we have some strong negotiation from Moses. Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, not even now that you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I hear you. Who among us has not? The focus on the speech act 
is a lot of pressure. God responds, not like therapeutically sympathetically, but with divine assurance that uh, speech inspired by God works. He's, and if you, uh, if you like this genre, uh, who gives speech to mortals, who makes the mute or deaf, seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Job 38 is a great next stop. So uh, he says to Moses, um, now go, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you are to speak. And instead of Moses being like, all right, all right, okay, I think we got this, he says, is anyone else available? Can you send anyone else? I think that um, when we feel, when we feel doubting, when we feel discouraged, hey, at least we're not the first. But hear this, God equips when God calls, God is going to teach him what to say, and he's also going to reunite him with his brother Aaron, who, uh... looking at verse 25, if we are, 24 through 25, if we are, um, if we are confused by this, we're not alone. Um, in his uh, commentary, um, translation and commentary on Exodus, Scholar Robert Alter says uh, that the uh, rite of circumcision carried out by Zipporah might belong to an archaic stratum of Hebrew culture, brought into alignment with the story that follows, and the potently anthropomorphic and mythic character of the episode generates a crabbed style, as though the writer were afraid to spell out its real content. Um, so a few things going on here. There is some... Um, uh, Robert Alter says pronominal instead of pronoun, but there is some uh, pronoun antecedent confusion here. Why would God kill Moses, who he just called? At any rate, what some uh, what some scholars interpreters say is going on here is that the plague of the firstborns is foreshadowed. Moses, not knowing he's of the Hebrew people, has not uh, has not circumcised his son. So in order to save their son Gershom, Zipporah and Moses circumcise him and Zipporah um, touches Moses' feet with it, making it a retroactive circumcision of Moses himself. Uh, when she says, truly you are a bridegroom of the blood, to me, there is so much in that sentence. I don't think this is just like a, um, a now the ritual is completed Enunciation. I think I'm hearing um, a bridegroom of blood in sort of like the British sense of the word bloody. Um, this bloody man. Um, Zipporah knows that staying with Moses will be emotionally and physically costly. Oh my gosh, she just circumcised her son with a stone. Stomach of steel. Um... But she does it. All right. Don't think because uh, we didn't talk about God saying he will harden Pharaoh's heart, we won't be getting there. 
we'll get to that uh, we'll get to that when we read about it and let's end tonight on uh, verse 31 Moses and Aaron speak to the Israelites Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and performed the signs in the sight of the people verse 31 here the people believed and when they heard that God the Lord had given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery they bowed down and worshiped sure this kicks off a long cycle of apostasy and revival. But for now, this is a beautiful and dramatic beginning. Who is Moses when God calls him? He's a person of privilege. He's a fugitive on the run. He's a stranger in a strange land. He's never been eloquent. He's slow of speech and slow of tongue. Who does Moses become after God calls him? Stay tuned, folks. A lot happens after Prince of Egypt ends. Thank you. That's Bible study on Exodus 3 and 4. We will try a few ways to gather. Um, email me at gail, a, uh, at gail at holytrinitychurch.info. <laughs> Sorry, still sorry about this influencer resounding part. Follow us on Instagram at Episcopal Student Ministries. Uh, subscribe on YouTube to Holy Trinity Auburn for services for Sunday school for announcements. And check the college group me for how to sign up for a small group. We have some, um, I'm really excited about this. We have some really great student-led uh, student-led options. Josh Carter is leading a small group on prayer. Y'all will meet on campus at 5.30 on Thursdays. And Maggie Tennant is leading a welcome small group. Um, check in about your week, get to know other people, and talk about how God is moving in your life. That will be Fridays at 10 a.m. on Zoom. And as always, Bible study here and at Holy Trinity, uh, Mondays starting at 6. Thank you. Looking forward to this.